next stop for the Road Dogs, Music City. But when Saturday's game is all said and done, will Stanford fans be singing the Cardinals' praises? Or will they be crying the blues? Stanford at Vanderbilt, top of mind on this episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity on the Believe Podcast Network, Thursday, September 16th, 2021. Hello, hater, hi there, hoder. Hope you're doing well. Hope you've had a great week. And hope you're getting ready for what should be an intriguing game. The one and one Stanford Cardinal in the Pac-12 facing the one and one Vanderbilt Commodores in the SEC. The first time ever that Stanford and Vanderbilt have met on the football field. We'll preview that game for much of this show. And we're also going to go inside the position unit for Stanford that I think has really stepped up the most in the first two games of the season anyway. The Stanford defensive backs, and they are coached by one of the very best in the collegiate game, Dwayne Aquina, the uh, Stanford football couch family defensive backs coach. Looking forward to getting his thoughts on some of the young guys whom have stepped up for a, a, a unit that's been shorthanded pretty much from jump. But uh, they played very, very well to this point, especially against uh, that USC Trojans uh, receiving squad and passing game. That can be very dangerous, but Stanford limited them for the most part last Saturday. So looking forward to getting Dwayne Aquina's thoughts on... The results so far this season and how much further the Stanford defensive backs can take the Cardinal for the rest of the way. Great to have you with us. I'm Troy Clarity. On Twitter, you can follow me at Troy Clarity. The last name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y. You got thoughts on Stanford football? I always welcome them. Hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast via Twitter. That is by far the best way to ensure that I see what you've got on your mind. And uh, hey, judging from the download numbers from this past Sunday's show, um, a lot of you might be new to the TreeCast. If so, welcome. Thank you for spending some time with us and uh, make listening to the show a habit. Subscribe to the show if you haven't done so to this point, and you can do that on your favorite listening app, uh, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeart has a hookup um, as well. So uh, subscribe to the show that way. You don't have to be constantly hitting your refresh button on Believe.com. Uh, to see when the next show is coming in. Uh, it'll be right there in your queue and ready to roll. And since we are in regular season mode, these shows will generally come on Thursdays, previewing the upcoming Stanford football game, and on Sundays, reviewing the game that's just been completed. So we'll generally come at you on Thursdays and Sundays. Uh, that schedule might alter a little bit at times throughout the season based on when Stanford's playing and when, quite honestly, I have Pac-12 Network games to call as I'm in my eighth year of Pac-12 Network play-by-play. Plenty of soccer coming up as well as uh, field hockey and volleyball too. So uh, depending upon how that all shakes out, no matter when it happens, we will certainly come at you twice a week during the regular season. So much to get to. Dwayne Aquina, as mentioned, a preview of Vanderbilt, something I've got to get off my chest, and three things you need to know about Stanford versus Vanderbilt. But first, 
All eyes on the gridiron as teams are starting another football season. And as always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use promo code NFL100. Bet online, the fastest and the easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Three things you need to know as Stanford gets set to face Vanderbilt. That is a 5 p.m. Pacific time kickoff on the U, ESPNU, calling this one and broadcasting this one. Three things you need to know, starting off with number and yeah, look, Stanford's win over USC was pretty cool. I'm, I'm still in a pretty good mood over it. But Stanford football is turning the page from USC and getting ready for the Commodores. And as well as the Cardinal played overall against the Trojans, there's still no shortage of things to improve upon. After Wednesday's practice, David Shaw revealed his checklist. We still missed a couple on third down that were that were gettable for us. You know, I could be 100% on third down, but on offense, we missed a couple on third down. Um, also, offensively, um, an opportunity to really put the game away. Last last drive, we didn't have an opportunity. We didn't put it away. We had the opportunity to. Um, uh, we, uh, we still had the explosive play running the ball, but didn't have the efficiency that we wanted running it. So that's another way that we, I think we can improve. Um, you know, defensively, I thought we played a really good game defensively. Um, I thought we you know, we dropped an interception. We let the quarterback kind of get out twice where we had a chance to get a sack on him. And this guy's hard to sack, right? He's historically hard to sack, but we should have got out of the game with two. Um, so it's really continue to work on our pass rush, making sure our guys are trying like crazy to get there. And when they get there, getting our hands on them quickly um, to, to hopefully, you know, disturb the pass rush. Yeah, sounds to me like David Shaw wants to see improvement in the trenches against Vanderbilt. So do I. We'll talk about that later. Let's move on to number Stanford versus Vanderbilt. The Pac-12 versus the SEC. It's the first direct matchup between Stanford and an SEC team since the 1978 Blue Bonnet Bowl. How about that? Gordy Saraceno played out of his mind. Stanford came back to beat 11th ranked Georgia at the Astrodome. And uh, Bill Walsh took the 49ers coaching gig eight days later. That seemed to work out pretty well for him. Now, given that it's Stanford versus the SEC, I asked David Shaw on Tuesday if a Cardinal win over Vanderbilt would, I don't know, just mean more. Um, I don't know. That's that's for everybody else out there. Um, I really try hard not to get into all that stuff. Um, we're trying to go. We're trying to be two and one after this after this weekend. Um, you know what that means for the conference. What that means for other conferences. Um, especially with all that's going on, it just you know gives me a gives me a mild headache. So, um, but whatever people want to say, uh, it's fine. It means something. It doesn't mean something. You know, well, I just want to be two and one after this weekend. Okay, okay. Typical, typical coach's answer there. Well, what about the players? I asked Tanner McKee if the fact that this weekend's matchup is against an SEC team is playing with a little bit more juice in the locker room. Tanner's response? Uh, I haven't heard a ton, actually. Um, obviously, it, it's a big game with two great conferences. Um, 
So I, I haven't heard a ton to talk about it, but I'm, I'm super excited for the matchup. All right. I tried. So, hey, Pac-12 versus SEC. <laughs> well, looks like the fans are going to be a bit more concerned about that subplot uh, than the student athletes and the coaches. They just want to make sure that Stanford's two and one by the time it's all said and done. Let's finish up three things with number three. And this is Stanford's seventh straight road game dating back to last year. A four-game road trip to close out the 2020 season with the Oregon State game that was supposed to be played at Stanford, but, well, you know. And the first three games of this season. While in the first six games of this two-season road trip, Stanford's 5-1. and one. I think a lot of people forget this. Incredible on, on so many different levels, and much of that probably comes back to mentality. Stanford inside linebacker Ricky Miezon on what it takes mentally to be a road dog. We want to embrace that kind of villain role. You know, when we go into a hostile environment, um, that's kind of what we want our identity to be. We want to be able to embrace that villain and go in there and, um, you know, execute what we need to do. Um, and this past weekend, especially, something that we kind of said uh, going into the locker room when we were up was bury them, you know? We're up, now keep it going and bury them. That's Ricky Miezon, and yep, the road dogs are riding again. Well, they're coming to your city. Did I do that right? Uh, no, no, I didn't. But this time, they're coming to Nashville, and uh, from the sound of it, they don't mind wearing the black hat and being the villain, being the bad guy. Those are three things. Road Dogs. I'm old enough to remember the Trench Dogs, the 1999 squad with Willie Howard and those guys. The defensive line for Stanford wearing chains and 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 helping lead Stanford to a Rose Bowl that year. So from from the the, the, the Trench Dogs in the late 90s to the Road Dogs now, <laughs> uh, good stuff. Good things to remember. A couple of injury notes uh, for Stanford. Cornerback Ethan Bonner uh, is out for this one. He was injured midweek last week, uh, did not make the trip down to Los Angeles. The Stanford coaches hope to have him back next week when the UCLA Bruins come to town. And a tight end defensive end, Tucker Fisk, is questionable with the injury he suffered during the USC game. Though, after Wednesday's practice, David Shaw said that Tucker's leaning more towards doubtful for this one, but... They're still going to bring him on the trip anyway, just in case. So a couple of personnel updates in that department. Now, if there's one position unit for Stanford that has shown me the most over the first two games overall, it's been the defensive backs, especially against USC, right? I mean, that we talked about this at length uh, on, on Sunday's show. That crew won battles and came up big throughout. Their coverage really dictated the story and forced Keaton Slovis to hold the ball, forced him out of the pocket, forced him into errant throws. Stanford's defensive backs played a whale of a game against the Trojans, and they did it shorthanded. Already without safety, Jonathan McGill and cornerback Salim Turner-Muhammad, those who were scheduled to miss most of the season at, mo at, at least. And as we mentioned, cornerback Ethan Bonner got hurt during the week, didn't make the trip to L.A. Bonner a starter as well as McGill and Salim Turner-Muhammad probably would have been in the starters mix as well if he was healthy. So even without those three guys, impressive stuff from the Stanford DBs, who were coached by one of the very best in the business, the Couch Family defensive backs coach, Dwayne Aquina. He's in his eighth year at Stanford, previously at Texas and Arizona, and one of the most 
well-respected uh, defensive coaches, I would imagine, certainly in Pac-12, if not the country. After Wednesday's practice, Coach Akina and I caught up. I always enjoy chatting with him. And the first thing I asked Coach was, was how Stanford's defensive backs, even though it was a team effort against the Trojans, I asked Coach how Stanford's defensive backs were able to steal the show against USC. Well, you know, as always, it really all works together. Coverage, um, you know, it starts with us getting the quarterbacks to the second look to give pressure a chance to get home and, and um, harass them. I thought with a couple of the tough injuries and some of those things that happened in the middle of the week, I give so much credit to the veteran DBs, Noah Williams, uh, Kendall Williamson, Jonathan McGill, just getting the younger guys together, having individual meetings on their own, and just getting everybody, you know, on the same page. Because we've all been part of uh, games and situations, hey, next man up, and, and, all, and all of that. And, and we've seen it happen in a positive way and, and a negative way over all my years of coaching. But what I was really impressed with is that the next man up, Jimmy Wyrick, Zarin Manley, you know, the main, the principal players, they have to do their part and they have to prepare. And then the veterans now, they need to come out and play like veterans. Caillou Kelly needs to have a big game. Kendall Williamson, Noah Williams have to have a big game. They did that. But during the week, they really spent a lot of time with meeting time, be getting together, talking football, and getting Jimmy and Zarin confident that, you know, because there's a chemistry back there in the secondary, you know, there's language, there's splits. We had to doctor some things up within the coverages to take care of an outstanding receiver in Jake London. And I thought Noah and Kendall, you know, they really control the plan and and uh, really make the calls why they're out there depending on on alignments and splits and um so it was a great team effort across the board yeah i'm not gonna lie to you i jimmy wyrick was not a name that i was exactly familiar with before the game i heard that he was gonna get some playing time right in the media that in the media run-up to the game and then he was out there on the on usc's first snap from scrimmage uh and did very well it seemed how would you grade out his performance yeah he, he graded out very well for us and you know, when I was watching those big tight ends warm up prior to the game, they're big in athletics. So, you know, it was going to be interesting to see how Jimmy was going to hold up. But he comes from a football family. You know, his dad is NFL player. and Jimmy's been raised around it. He he plays in a real fast track in, in, um, in the conference in Dallas that he's played from. So he went in very well prepared, which breeds confidence. And then the guys around him, you know, were really helping him and giving him calls and splits. But Jimmy certainly stood up. And it wasn't too big mentally, and it wasn't too big physically for him, too. You know, good football player, so get used to the name. It certainly seems like you just mentioned it wasn't too big for him. And it certainly seems like a hallmark of this coaching staff and this team is that they tend to stay a bit on the even side. Don't get too high after big wins. Don't get too low after disappointing losses. It could be argued that Stanford's already experienced both in the first two weeks of the season. How much has that been able to, to define what this team has been all about so far? Well, I, I, I think that's the maturity of this team, and we'll really find out if we are because we handled a negative situation after the Kansas State. Nobody panicked. We looked at the tape. We all assumed the responsibilities, players and coaches, because we're all part of that tape. Um, now we're going to see if we can handle the other side of it, you know, of, of people saying wonderful things about us. And uh, as I shared, we, we prepared hard. That was not an upset. That was uh, 
that was a kicking, okay? And, um, and we knew it going in because we were well prepared. The players are confident. And now we got to go see it. We come up against this Vanderbilt team. We just have to play to our standard. I used to talk about that all the time at Texas. We need to play to our standard and, and uh, not, not to the standard of an opponent um, and whatnot, but to our standard. And we just showed that the standard here at Stanford football is very high. I'll get your further thoughts on Vanderbilt and that, that matchup here in just a moment or so. But uh, Caillou Blue Kelly, eye-popping interception against Kansas State, dagger pick against USC, and it looks like he's been playing lights out for the most part so far this season, a continuation of some things uh, that, he showed, that he showed earlier in the Stanford career. What sort of individual characteristics have, have added up to make him one of the more dangerous defenders in the Pac-12 so far this season? Well, I think I think we looked at last year's tape and, and found that there were things that he could work on and become a better player. And um, he's really done the things that we've asked him to work on. Um, one of them is to put playmaking on tape. You know, you, he's shown it in practice, but it's we got to show these plays on tape. I use Justin as an example to that. Justin had outstanding first two years, but he needed more plays on tape, and he did that his his third year here. So he's answering that bell right now. Um, he's becoming more physical as a player, and you probably heard me say it. When you come here, you don't play. come here to be cover corner. You come here to play DB, and that means you're physical. You can play press man. You can play off man. You can see the game um, and understand the mental side of the game, and he's really checking all those boxes right now. Now we just need to continue to grow as he's starting to get become a, a name that's becoming familiar with the country and that's what we aim to be. He's got the respect of our locker room. Now the next goal is to go out and gain the respect of the West Coast, the country, and, and keep moving forward with it. So he's on the right track right now. We talked about Jimmy Wire before. Who are some of the other youngsters that have uh, had made strides, or at least some of the youngster, other youngsters on this on this unit that we might need to be aware of? Yeah, I, I, I'm really excited about our young defensive backs. I think Alakai Gilman, unfortunately, he was unable to play, but he had showed tremendous strides there. Um, Jaden Slocum, I think, is going to be a name to be familiar with, and Nick Tomer is coming back, and I think he's another one I'm very excited about. Um, and then Zarn Manley, who's you know been spotted, but this is his first opportunity to really play in a high-profile game, and he showed himself very well also. So um, I'm really excited about the future that we have here. You hinted at it a bit earlier, I think. Uh, Jonathan McGill, obviously, he's uh, unavailable uh, for who knows how long. Hopefully he comes back before the end of the season. But saw Jonathan on the sidelines uh, against Kansas State. I believe he made the trip. Uh, down to USC, and I'm sure that he's still, you know, being like a like a player coach, I guess, in a sense. Mm -hmm. How how much of an impact has he had, even though he hasn't been able to play so far? Yeah, tremendous impact. First of all, if you're having a bad day, you need to come hang out with Jonathan McGill. <laughs> I mean, he is as upbeat, positive of an individual as I've ever seen. So Jonathan has turned this negative into a positive. What he has done is really helped coach. He's been having individual meetings with players. We have given him, you know, I carry around the pages of of what plays we're running and so he's also showing the players talking ball. He has great eyes on the sideline. In fact, that uh, fade ball that Caillou intercepted, he knew that that was the hot throw. He was calling it out from the sidelines telling Caillou, you know, inside fade, inside fade. and. Uh, but he is just really 
a, a, a model player on when something negative happens to you. Hey, let's put that aside. That's the hand I've been dealt. Let's move forward. And how can we turn this into a positive situation? He's watching tape. He's well-versed. He's always been one of our more intellectual players. And now he's a great model for the younger players of how to be a great teammate. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Let's move forward. And now he's coaching on the sideline, positive feedback. He kind of watches the nickels on every snap and can give Caillou and Jimmy. He's really the one that brought Jimmy along with a lot of individual meetings. So can't see enough about uh, Jonathan McGill. A couple last things here for you. Safety play with uh, Noah Williams and Kendall Williamson. Uh, what have you seen from those two to this point? High points and points of improvement going forward. Yeah, the, Noah Williams um, is as intellectual player as I've had, you know, while I've been at Texas and just here, Jordan Richards, Frank Buncom, he would be in that family. Uh, Malik Justin ended up becoming a very intellectual player. So. We, we had a set game plan that there were a lot of calls built on formations and things. I can hand the game plan to Noah, and he controls it on the field. So much like a quarterback can check with me when they see what an offense is doing, Noah does that for us. So he, he can put us in the right coverage concepts and, you know, players like that, with that, you know, that value is, you know, people always want to talk about speed, fast, and all this, but that is an incredible value to have that, to unwind things when we're not covered down right. Kendall Williamson is probably one of the best athletes I've ever coached, and now, you know, I've taken Nickel off his plate because he's played corner safety, so he's really focusing on Nickel, and he's really becoming a dominant player. As you saw, that little toss play, that the flip play down there with they try to outrun him to the, I'll try to outrun him to the, the the sideline there. And a young man from Texas is telling me, hey, Texas speed isn't like Georgia speed, is it? Uh, but uh, Jonathan said that's East. That's not Dallas, coach. <laughs> but uh, he's really playing well for us, and uh, he's an impact player. And it's wonderful to watch him and Noah work together. All right, as we wrap this up, Vanderbilt coming up this weekend, the Commodores. Uh, what sort of things pop out at you when you look at the Vanderbilt offense and some, some things you're going to be watching especially as the game unfolds? Yeah, we, we got to manage a ver vertical game first. You know, they, they're, they're a team that will take as many as 10 to 12 shots and, hey, let's try to complete four of them. You know, kind of like how I was when I was on offense. Uh, so we can expect some deep balls. You know, we've put pressure in the first two games on our corners. They've been able to stand up. We need another great effort from them, you know, playing one-on-one. -on -one. So we're anticipating that. They've got a couple concepts where to, a lot of quick game on early downs. I would suspect that to try to get their quarterbacks into a rhythm to see the ball caught. So we're expecting some, some high percentage throws early on. And then depending what quarterback we get, quarterback legs, and we really have to manage the run. You know, that's got to be uh, something that's got to be out in front so we can get them into some third and long situations and continue to play well in the red zone because in this game the ball will move, but we got to keep them to field goals or opportunities to block the field goal when they get down there. Should be intriguing, should be fun, and as the Road Dogs' final uh, road tour for this school round anyway uh, wraps up uh, against uh, the Vanderbilt Commodores. Coach, thanks a bunch. Always appreciate the time and the insight. So much fun watching the DB so far this season. Hope they keep it going. Best of luck, best of health. We'll talk again soon. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Joy. Yeah, really appreciate uh, Dwayne Aquino and always appreciate his time. Good stuff uh, from him. And it, it's it's interesting. He, he talked a little bit about, about the, coordina the coordination that's necessary when you're playing in the secondary. And 
you don't necessarily think of it in those terms, right? I mean, you certainly think of the offensive line as as a unit, as you know, five guys playing as one. You know, they often like to say that you know, hey, we're we're like a big hand. We're each one finger on one big hand on the offensive line. You know, you don't necessarily think of it. At least I don't, anyway. But you know, you, you don't necessarily think of the unit having to be as well coordinated perhaps as the offensive line does but it it, it certainly makes a lot of sense right you got to be you got to be on point with your coverage you got to be on the same page with who's got who what a, who has what assignment and at, at whatever point you know who who's who's going to you know do whatever it takes to make the big play so you know I'm, I'm glad he kind of brought that up a little bit and it's it's intriguing when you watch the Stanford defense because at times, you know, over the last couple of years, you know, we haven't seen a whole lot of Stanford do a lot of exotic things from a blitzing standpoint. We've seen it before from, from Willie Shaw, director of defense, uh, Lance Anderson, but that was generally back when he had Harrison Phillips and Solomon Thomas and Justin Reed rowing in the secondary and Bobby Okariki at linebacker. When he had the experience and the talent Lance Anderson got diabolical downright sometimes. I mean, sometimes he'd call, he'd dial up a blitz, and I'd be making noises while I'm watching it. Ooh, I love it. Hadn't seen a whole lot of that in 2019, and to a lesser extent in 2020 because the experience just wasn't there. But we saw a little bit more blitzing, especially from, uh, at least from the defensive backs, being a bit more aggressive. And getting into the backfield at times. We've seen them on a couple of occasions. A couple of more occasions so far, certainly this year, uh, it, it seems, um, than, than I can remember over the last couple of years. That's neat to see. And I think it's also a pretty solid indicator of just how much more comfortable Lance Anderson and the defensive brain trust feel about what this defense can provide. And another thing I appreciate about Dwayne Aquino is that his guys seem to play pretty clean. You know, they don't get called for a whole lot of defensive pass interference penalties. Can't say the same at USC. So really appreciate uh, Coach Aquino's thoughts on uh, all of those things, taking us inside the defensive backs and uh, what's going to be on their plates uh, coming up, uh, certainly this Saturday against Vanderbilt and going forward for the remainder of the season. By the way, did you see Paulson Adebo, now with New Orleans Saints, picking off Aaron Rodgers over the weekend? Stanford beats Cal once again. How about that? A closer look, our closer look at the Commodores coming up in just a few minutes or so. But first, exciting news. Believe Podcast Network partnering with PlayActionPools.com this season to bring some interactive fun to the sport we love most. You'll be able to get in on the action with our PlayActionPools.com football pick'em challenge, which is open to everyone. Here's how it works. Sign up for our contest, Believe Football Pick'em, at PlayActionPools.com, and then get your picks in each week. We're going to select the 10 highest profile games of the week between NFL and college football. Whomever gets the most picks correct each week will win a pair of electric sunglasses and a pair of DC shoes. Again, go to PlayActionPools.com and sign up for the contest. Believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, football pick them. And if you plan on hosting your own football contests, go to PlayActionPools.com today. They've got Survivor, pick them, as well as a cool sportsbook-style concept called Build Your Bankroll. PlayActionPools.com, your new home for all your office sports pools. 
Um, I, I got to get something off my chest here uh, for a couple minutes or so. Um, there was no bigger fallout from Stanford beating USC than Clay Helton getting fired. That was announced on early Monday afternoon. And uh, that news was quite honestly met with a lot of celebration, it seemed, in the USC fan base. I was at the Coliseum last week. Uh, I heard the boos uh, whenever uh, Helton showed up on the Jumbotron and certainly at various points um, throughout the game. Trojan fan had, had had enough, and apparently the athletic department and the folks who, who helped make those decisions had had enough as well. Uh, so Clay Helton uh, dismissed from his duties as the head coach at USC on Monday afternoon. Uh, former Stanford player uh, Cameron Scarlett tweeted out, man, we beat them boys into a coaching change. But hidden underneath a lot of the reaction to last Saturday's result down in L.A. was, my God, how shocking it was that Stanford could beat USC. I mean, yeah, here's, here's USC with, with all of this talent. How could they possibly lose to a team and a program like Stanford? Well, before he took any questions, uh, David Shaw began his Tuesday presser by wishing Clay Helton well and uh, noting how much respect uh, that Helton had in the coaching community and uh, how Shaw does not celebrate when any coach loses their job. But within that statement, within that opening statement, totally unprompted, and it's how Shaw began his Tuesday presser, within that statement, Shaw also had a message for the folks who just simply refused to believe that Stanford could beat USC. Here's that message. For those that have an issue with, with uh, you know, um, losing to Stanford, uh, we've been good for 10 years. Um, they're living in the past. Oh, and there's more. Later on, Shaw added this. There's still this perception out there, and I kind of addressed it in my opening statement, that USC, you know, this is not the 70s, right? It's not the, two, the early 2000s. Yeah, he's right. He's right. This is 1970, folks. This is in 2007. And it's not a fluke when Stanford beats USC. Not right now. And it seems like some folks either didn't realize, completely forgot, or willingly ignored the fact that Stanford beating USC has become a common occurrence. I mean, don't look now. Stanford's actually won 10 of the last 16 meetings between the two. So it's actually been happening more often than not. Now, who knows? USC could still very well win the South and play in the Pac-12 championship game. Something Clay Helton's teams did three times, by the way. There's still a lot of football left to be played for everyone. A lot can and will happen over the next 10 games. Boy, wouldn't the Stanford-USC Pac-12 championship game down in Vegas just be delicious? Ooh, I'd sign up for that in a heartbeat. But I'm getting way, 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 way ahead of myself. None of those things, however, change this. The way both programs have been going the past dozen plus years or so, no one should be shocked when Stanford beats USC. Shouldn't be a shock at all. Now, was last Saturday surprising? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that was a bit of a surprise. 
especially considering how rough Stanford largely looked against K-State in week one. Surprising? Sure. Shocking? Come on. Come on, man. You, you, you should know better by now. And if you don't, that's on you. I had to get that off my chest. But that USC result is in the past. And right now, it's a highlight for the Cardinal. But if Stanford doesn't take care of business against Vanderbilt this Saturday, that USC win is just going to be a footnote. So off we go. Stanford gets on the plane on Thursday. They head to Nashville. Oddly enough, they're going out a day early because it's a later kickoff, 7 p.m. Central Time. While they went to North Texas the day before that early kickoff against Kansas State, and I actually talked to David Shaw about this, and he said that the that the studies that he's looked at indicate that the body acclimates better for later kickoffs if you go the day before you normally do. And he pointed to uh, some of the results that, that that Stanford has has generally played a lot better at Notre Dame because they go out on a Thursday because those kickoffs tend to be much later in the day. Okay, all right. But Stanford's heading to the south, Nashville, Tennessee. And when you play football down there, that's big stuff. That also means recruiting implications. Shaw on the pluses of Stanford playing in the south. We have and have had multiple guys from Tennessee on our team. So we have some alumni out there. They're really excited about us coming to play in their hometown. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty good recruiting spot for us, um, both this year and next year. Um, but then also we're going to be able to get out. Coaches are going to get to Georgia. Some coaches are going to get some other places and be able to come back, you know, Saturday morning uh, in time for our game. So, I mean, this is huge. Uh, you know, we recruit across the nation, and just being able to show up and be there during the season, see some games. I'll be out going to see a game on Friday night also um, is an exciting thing because we don't always get over there, but we're always recruiting there. So there's a big buzz right now from a lot of our alumni um, and our our. You know, some of our current players, just because their families are going to be able to come, some families from the South, some families from the Midwest. So um, it's, a, it's a good thing for us. Yeah, and this might change a bit with, with the alliance. It's way too early to tell on that. So, but, but this might change a little bit with that. But Stanford generally, when it's in control of its non-conference road scheduling, Stanford likes to play non-conference road opponents in places where they can recruit and where they can get good players and in places where, you know, they, ha- they can have a- access to recruits. And look, Stanford's a, uh, Stanford's a national brand, right? Just by the very nature of the school, they can't just, they can't just you know, head down to Southern California and just cherry pick and, 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 and choose the best kids just from one specific region. No, they have to go nationwide. So the Cardinal, as a result, are going to play all over the country. So it's not major news when Stanford gets on a plane and heads two or three time zones away, like it is when an SEC team plays in Los Angeles. But it's why Stanford likes to play non-conference road opponents in places where they can recruit. It's why Notre Dame stays on the schedule and likely will be on 2024. So Stanford can go back to the Midwest and have access to the recruits back there and go back and see them and check them out when they go back to the Midwest. It's why UCF popped up a few years ago with that home-and-home series, the home game in 2015 
and the road game in 2019 that I would prefer not to remember. And let's face it, it's why Hawaii's coming up starting in 2023. I need to figure out and see if I can do some advanced scouting for that road trip in 2023 when Stanford uh, heads out to the Aloha State. So, you know, there's there's been a little consternation about Stanford playing three straight road games and why are they getting on all these planes and racking up all these miles? Well, in part, that's why. That's why. Because Stanford needs to go where, where its recruits are. That's why they're not going to be shy about going to the South going to the Midwest, going to the East Coast. I believe there's a series against Boston College coming up in the years ahead. So Stanford very, very happy to, it's, it's, why they weren't ha- it's why they weren't unhappy to have that Kansas State game move to North Texas. Better recruiting in North Texas among high school football players there than there is in Kansas. No no offense to, to those of you who might be listening uh, in the Sunflower State, but uh, you know, that, that, that is what that is. But, but intrigued to get David Shaw's thoughts on that and on Stanford continuing its national footprint and making appearances all over the country. Now, as for Vanderbilt, they're led by first-year head coach Clark Lee, who replaced Derek Mason. You might remember Mason is Stanford's former defensive coordinator. He now has that job at Auburn. Uh, The Commodores lost to East Tennessee State at home, 23-3. Now, they did bounce back last week to beat Colorado State on the road, so I'm sure that that takes a little bit of the sting away, but but still, not not the best of openers uh, for the Commodores this season. Uh, Quarterback Ken Seals and his biggest weapon, Might be wide receiver Chris Pierce, who's averaging over 16 yards per catch the first two games of the season. Running backs led by Raymond Davis, and they haven't shown much, it seems, as their longest rush is just 15 yards. Now, one name that might sound a little bit familiar for Vanderbilt, linebacker Michael Owusu. Yeah, of those Owusus. Michael's brothers Chris and Francis both suited up for the Cardinal at wide receiver. So that's pretty neat. The Owusu football family tree continuing throughout that generation. And uh, so if you see uh, someone wearing number 88 for Vanderbilt on Saturday and the, the name Owusu on the back, yes, yep, that's, that's, that's his brother. Or, his, or that's their brother, I should say. I get my pronouns right here. Um, intriguing note, uh, Vanderbilt's offensive coordinator, by the way, was stripped of his play-calling duties during the preseason. And now the pass game coordinator and the quarterback's coach calls the plays. Clark Lee felt the quarterback's coach had more experience as a play-caller. So perhaps Vandy's offense is still trying to sort out some things. Some initial things you need to know about the Vanderbilt Commodores. David Shaw with his thoughts on Vanderbilt football. They, uh, they have length. Um, they're big on defense, on the defensive side. Um, on the offensive side, uh, they give you a variety of looks. Um, they make a big play. They'll jump the ball and get you with tempo. Uh, they're pretty balanced running and throwing it, um, uh, much like we'd like to be. Um, and I do know this about, you know, that program over the years. You know, I know uh, Clark's come in. He's put his own spin on it. And Derek Mason was there for years. And, um, you know, this, this Vanderbilt program, they've, they've risen to the occasion, right? They have tough games every year. 
and they come to fight you. Um, they don't lay down against anybody. Um, and I don't anticipate they will lay down against us. I told our guys yesterday, we are not the toughest game on their schedule, right? Um, so don't think that they're going to back down to us. They're going to come and fight and scrap like they always do. All right, so all of that being said from David Shaw, let's get to some keys to the game. And and you heard Shaw hint at one earlier in the, in the program. Get the running game going. You heard Shaw say, look, Stanford is – has, has had one explosive play, but they haven't overall been efficient on the ground. And the numbers bear that out. Outside of Nate, of, uh, Nate Pete's 87-yard touchdown run against USC, you take that one away, Stanford running backs have carried the rock 36 times this year for just 82 yards. Austin Jones' longest rush of the year so far is just six yards. And some of it's on the running backs, no question about that. But much of that might be on the offensive line as well. Stanford has, has, had, has not had any success to this point running the ball up the middle. And Stanford's offensive line hasn't had a sustained push to this point in the season. Will that improve against Vanderbilt? If it does, I think that would be a major, major key in favor of the Cardinal in this contest. Another key, play cleaner. Play cleaner football than Vanderbilt, which, which might not be that hard. The Commodores averaging eight and a half penalties per game. Stanford with nine penalties against Kansas State in the opener. Just five against USC. Better. Can Stanford keep that trend going? Hey, they can keep the sequence going from 9 to 5 to 1. I'd be happy with that, unless that one penalty has a direct <laughs> direct influence on the outcome of the game. But I think, you, I think you get what I mean. Can Stanford continue to play cleaner as the season goes along? Can Vanderbilt play cleaner than they have to this point this season? Who knows? Who knows? So both teams may be looking to clean some things up in the penalty department. And certainly for Stanford, and, and look, they've, you know, you, you've, you've asked, I've asked coaches and players what they think about Vanderbilt. And by and large, they haven't really said anything specific. By and large, the answer I get is, it's not really about Vanderbilt. It's about Stanford and about playing to our standard of ball. You heard Dwayne Aquinas say it to us. And that's certainly true. That's certainly true. Stanford is, is favored on the road to beat Vanderbilt. And on paper, they, they, they probably should be. Then again, last week, Stanford was a 17.5 point underdog. So, hey, what is Vegas now? But Stanford was an underdog coming into week two, largely because they spent week one not playing up to its standard. They played much better in week two. Can they continue to play much better and play up to its standard in week three? I hope so. I hope so. As we said on Sunday's show, one and one, they don't hand out any trophies for it. David Shaw noted that earlier this week, but, but one and one had best not become one and two. Especially when you consider what Stanford has waiting for it on the other side. Home games, yes, but home games against UCLA, a resurgent UCLA squad, an Oregon team that's, that suddenly has the nation's notice, and then a road trip on a short week to Arizona State. But first, Vanderbilt.
take care of business against the Commodores and come back two and one. You've got keys to the Vanderbilt game. I always welcome them. I always try to make this show as interactive as I possibly can. Best way to do that is the hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast. And again, if if you haven't subscribed to the show just yet, why not? What you waiting for? Do it now. Do it now. Subscribe to the show via your favorite listening app, and we'll take care of you. We'll come at you twice a week throughout the remainder of the regular season. This is, look, we've been doing this overall since 2015. We joined the Believe Podcast Network in March of 2020, posted our first episode with them on March 9th, and then the whole world shut down on March the 12th. But even so, we were still able to bring you uh, great shows uh, every week with fantastic guests. Uh, Senator Cory Booker, David Shaw jumped on exclusive chats with us uh, three times over the past uh, year and a half. Tara Vanderveer, um, Stanford greats like Troy Walters. Interesting anniversary coming up involving Troy Walters before the end of the month, by the way. We might try to explore that on uh, on next Thursday's show, by the way. But uh, Mark Madsen, Brevin Knight, uh, it's been a lot of fun uh, bringing you these shows uh, especially over the past year and a half. So if you're just uh, now joining the program, if you're new to it, hey, thank you. Thanks for jumping on with us now. Uh, we'll, we, we won't make you regret it. We will try to give you everything that you could possibly want in a Stanford football, in a Stanford sports podcast, and even a little more. And if we are, rate it and review it and tell everyone you love the show. If you don't love it, hey, tell me about it. Let me know what I can do to make it better. Stanford Vanderbilt this Saturday evening, 5 p.m. Pacific time kickoff on ESPNU. And of course, as always, on the Cardinal Sports Network with my guys Scott Reese and John Platts on the radio call live from Nashville. And uh, we will come your way on Sunday with a complete review of that very contest. Special thanks to our special guest, the Couch Family defensive backs coach for Stanford, Dwayne Akina. And the special, most special thanks of all goes out to you for listening, for supporting, and for being a part of the program and for telling everyone you know all about it. I always appreciate that. Don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. Stay healthy, stay sane, and get that vac. You can't back the pack if you don't back the vac. It's that simple. It's that simple. Talk to you Sunday on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity on the Believe Podcast Network.